Happy to have you aboard here for the really big barbecue show. Boing. We cook because we have to, and we grill because we want to. Hit me. Fine. How's it going? You have a great show. I'm a big fan. Boing. So what, what, what seems to be the problem here? This man looks like he's dead, and he's in the, in the crackle. Charbono! It's all about the Charbono, dude! Succulent fish! What? He ate two feet for wiener. So listen, Laverne, face. I'm shaking like a dog shit peach seed. <laughs> we have top men working on it right now. Top men. And just like that, we are into the second hour. It's the Barbecue Central Show. Talking about live fire barbecue and grilling related things. We do it live every Tuesday from 9 to 11 p.m. Being recorded at the same time, being streamed video at the same time. I'll talk to you about that here in just one second. Still to come on this show tonight at 14 and 35 past the hour. Chris Young from Combustion Inc. But you might also know him as being a co-author of... Uh, modernist, I was going to say meticulous. It's probably meticulous. Modernist cuisine, also one of the co-founders of Chef Steps. You remember the sous vide machine? Yeah. He's one of the creators of that. Don't forget, you can follow me socially at BBQ Central Show on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and the Snappers slash BBQ Central Show on Facebook and Twitch. And also one on YouTube slash RD Rempy. Those are places to watch the show happen live Tuesdays from 9 to 11. They auto-archive immediately after the show ends, so you can watch it at any point you would care to after the fact. And we are also live on Clubhouse as well. If you would like to listen to the show audibly with no visual cues, that's what I would say to do. But that's just me. Rod Schrader listening actively right now is probably... Plowing the streets or laying down salt in the mean streets of Beachwood, Ohio. So, hope you're doing well out there, friend of show, Rod Schrader. Uh, lastly, you can get an ad-free podcast feed experience through two places, patreon.com slash Show or through Apple Podcasts directly. Coming up on the best moments of the Barbecue Central Show in 10 minutes or less this Friday, episode 215 taking you back to February 2017 and following up on his appearance last week. Ray Lampy, Dr. Barbecue, was the feature on this week's Best Moments show. This particular episode, I visit with Ray, who was at the time three months or so into opening the Dr. Barbecue restaurant and what it had been like for everyone involved. If you remember, we did a number of segments leading in to the actual opening of this place, and it just went on and on and on. I think it was nearly two years from when we made the original announcement that Ray was going to be involved in some kind of a restaurant. Maybe it was a little less than two years before this place opened. So there was a ton of hype and anticipation when the doors finally opened, and from all accounts, it appears to still be quite a success. So congrats to Ray and his business partners out there at Dr. Barbecue for fostering a successful restaurant, getting through the teeth of COVID, as he explained last week. So good job for them. And congratulations. Don't forget, if you want to hear a guest or a segment again on this show that's been lost in the archives, email John and let him know what you would like. J-O-N at the BBQ Central Show.com. That's J-O-N at the BBQ Central Show.com. It'll do his best to meet your expectations. Hey, does anyone know the significance of today's date? Anyone? Anyone? A Barbecue Central Show exclusive news update. Greg Rampey reporting from the breaking news desk here in Cleveland, Ohio, the city that breaks the most breaking news when it comes to live fire that's breaking across the country. Nay... The Globe. Folks, if you can believe it, 14 years ago, almost to the day, February 7th, that was yesterday, but almost to the day, 
the Barbecue Central show made its live debut. Debut? That's right. All the way back in February of 2008, February 7th, it was a Thursday, believe it or not. This show originated on a Thursday and then two weeks later moved to Tuesday, and that's where it's lived ever since. On a website called BBS Talk Radio, later rebranding as latalkradio.com, still in existence today and going strong through the founder, Sam Hassan. Sam, thanks and praise. How did this whole thing happen? Well, there was a podcast. There were some other podcasts that were coming out, barbecue-related. Wanted to separate. Wanted to do it live. That's right. We'll do it live. That's right, Bill. Do it live. We did it live. I'll write it and we'll do it live. So where does anybody find anybody back in 2008? Craigslist. Here's Sam Hassan writing a personal ad, Pina Colada style, looking for daily and weekly hosts as he's trying to get this BBS talk radio, now LA talk radio, off the ground. And if you could pitch him your idea or concept for a show, he was going to give it to you free of charge. I had extra steps to contend with. All the other hosts had, were living in Los Angeles in this high-rise studio. It was palatial. And here I am going, hey, you can't see me. You don't know me. I want to talk about barbecue for 50 minutes. And oh, by the way, I have no plans on relocating to Los Angeles ever. We're going to need to figure out how you're going to connect into Cleveland and then pull my signal into your servers and then pitch it out to the worldwide internets. Well, guess what? After I figured out the technology and he figured out how to connect into me, I was like the first syndicated podcast live show, whatever the hell you want to call it. And it was an hour to start, 50 minutes actually. And behind me was something called Broad Topics with four ladies that were very witty. Some of them were pretty hot. Some of them weren't, but it doesn't matter. They were hot of the mind, really. But it was a 50-minute show, or 55 minutes. Then I had to get out. Over the years, the show's grown to two hours for a brief period of time. The show saw two-plus hours, and it saw an actual additional day during the week, which I still don't remember. It must have been terrible. I blocked it from memory. Then shrunk back down to two hours once a week. And why I can officially say with 100% assurity, 100% yes, that this is the longest running, okay, the longest running and most downloaded barbecue and grilling podcast ever. And I have the stats to prove it. And we are inching so close to grossing 2 million downloads. I'll show it to you when we get there. It's going to happen. Maybe in like seven weeks or less. Maybe because of the first hour interview, we'll get to that number much quicker. Jeremy, very popular, large following. Everybody loves uh, the, the Traeger folks, love listening to anything that has to do with Traeger. And also, as John Solberg has told me now, the Barbecue Central show is a source now that can be used to track the last 16 years of the live fire industry and its history and trends and the like. An audible history book, if you will. Because we all know ain't no way I'm going to be <laughs> reading ever, but I'll listen. You want to know what's happened in the live fire industry since 2006? All you have to do is go to the Barbecue Central show and look for a topic. I guarantee it's been covered or a guest has been on or the news that we've broke, or people that have been on the show, people that have quit the show, people who have come back on the show after they've quit the show. It's insane. But yes, folks, we are 14 years old, plus one day. February 7, 2008 was the day and year the show launched its very live format. I thank you, the listener. Without you, who am I? Talking into a microphone, giving nobody any news, giving nobody entertainment, and the fact that everybody's continuing to download. I mean, some of you have been with me since 2006. 
our relationships might be longer than the ones that you have with your kids, depending on when you've had them. I have some relationships with some folks in the live fire industry that are as long as my youngest daughter. She's 16. Some obviously more than that. How about that? All right, let me talk to you quickly about Green Mountain Grills before we get it on with Chris Young from Combustion Inc. Green Mountain Grills building some of the best pellet cookers out there on the market. Two different lines to choose from, a choice line and a prime line. Choice line, if you don't need the tech, if you don't need all the bells and whistles, you want to save a couple hundred bucks, whatnot, no problem. Daniel Boone is your style right there. That's the size. Now, if you want a little bit more robust build on the chassis, you want some lights and peek-in windows, two internal meat probes, Wi-Fi connectivity, control it from an app on the phone, Prime Line, that's the one you want. Peak, Ledge, and Trek. Now, only sold through dealers, right? Yes, so you're going to have to go to a dealer. How do you find a dealer? Go to GreenMountainGrill.com and go to the dealer locator. Find the nearest one to you. Go visit the dealer, get educated, and then buy the one that best fits your need. Outside of that, make sure you pick up the pizza oven insert. You don't want to leave that on the accessory shelf at your dealer. Pick that up, take it home. Have pizza night every Friday or every Wednesday and Friday or every Monday, Wednesday and Friday. Why wouldn't you want to have pizza night at least three nights a week? It's delicious. And it fits in the Choice and the Prime Line cookers. Now on the website, they also have sauces and rubs and other accoutrements to complete your Green Mountain Grill cooking experience. But really, go to a dealer near you and see what they got. GreenMountainGrill.com. That's GreenMountainGrill.com. And we're back with Chris Young from Combustion, Inc. Stick around. We'll be right back. You're listening to the number one most downloaded barbecue and grilling podcast anywhere. The Barbecue Central Show. Jim Rome, Dan Patrick, and Greg Rampey. The Mountain Rushmore of talk show entertainment. Now, let's get back to the Barbecue Central Show. Hey, this portion of the show being brought to you by Pit Barrel Cooker. And while I would usually tell you about how great the Pit Barrel Cooker is and blah, blah, forget about all that. I need to tell you something. You know, I've been teasing this for the last couple of weeks, but about a month ago, the owner of Pit Barrel Cooker, Noah Glanville, maybe you've heard of him. He thought he had me in what we would call a sucker's bet. However, I had a little bit more information than he was giving me credit for. We laid the bet down, and then, of course, I win the bet. But before we actually put it down, I said, hey, if, by chance, I win this bet... I want a severe discount to give to my listeners, be able to blast out through social media, and I want a week to have it, or at least almost a week to have it, on those end grain cutting boards. I want 25%. I want my own code, and I want to be able to give it out willy-nilly for almost a week at least. He's like, yeah, sure, no problem, because he thinks he has me in a sucker's bet. Yeah, well, guess what? I win. I'm not going to get into the dirty details here. But if you have been looking at the end grain cutting board and you haven't pulled the trigger yet, thank God, because I'm going to save you 25%. So go to that website now, endgrainusa.com, or you can get it through the Pit Barrel website. If you use code BBQCentral25, BBQCentral25, you can save 25% on any cutting board. So if you want the big-ass one, get the big-ass one, save 25%, medium, small, whatever you like, and it's good on everything over at the end grain site. So... See what happens when you think you got a sucker's bet. Sometimes you're the sucker. Now go take advantage and really put the wood to our pal Noah Glanville over at Pit Barrel and End Grain. Again, it's BBQ Central 2-5. These cutting boards are absolutely spectacular. All right, joining me here in the second hour is someone who has been in and around the Live Fire community for years and years, and maybe you never do it. 
Have you ever heard of Chef Steps or the Jewel sous vide machine? Yes, of course you have. My next guest, along with his team, created all of that, and now he's looking to take the wireless thermometer market by storm with their new offering from the company Combustion Inc. Let's go ahead and race to the hotline and welcome in first-timer to the show, Chris Young. Hey, Chris. Hey, Greg. Good to have you. I am happy to be had and uh, appreciate you making time for the show here. Good to be here. Yeah, no problem. It's Uh, late. (laughs) Yeah, I get it. So... We're going to be spending, you know, a decent amount of time on the predictive thermometer, the associated timer mm-hmm. that combustion is working on. But before we do that, you know, I would love to set a proper stage here and look through your background. I had Jeremy Andrus in the first hour and you know, we ran it all the way back for him. I don't know if we'll go back that far, but maybe we will. So as you look back at a young, <laughs> at a young Chris Young, uh, where do you come from originally? Mm-hmm. What kind of family do you grow up in? And what kind of kid are you? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I was born in the Chicagoland area. I grew up in the Midwest until I was about 13 and then moved to Albuquerque, New Mexico. My mother was a nurse. My dad was in the ad industry and uh, they moved They moved us there while he started a business. So I sort of bounced around for a while. Um, ultimately ended up in the Seattle area for university. I, uh, did degrees in mathematics and biochemistry before I bailed on a PhD and became a cook. Um, I ended up uh, in my, <laughs> mostly out of the need for a job and need to, to make some money. And I enjoyed cooking. I always had, but I never really thought it, uh, about it as something I do professionally. And I begged my way in as an apprentice in some kitchens in Seattle before I heard about a chef in London who was trying to apply science in his kitchen to make more delicious food. And there was a quote from Harold McGee who had, greatly influenced me when I was reading his book that said, you know, Heston Blumenthal was the future of cooking. So I ended up uh, uh, going over, having a meal that completely changed my life. I mean, this would have been circa 2002. And there was really nothing like this at the time. This is the beginning of the molecular gastronomy movement, the modernist cuisine movement. And uh, through a bit of dumb luck and a lot of hard work, I ended up being the founding head chef of the Fat Duck Experimental Kitchen. So I ran all the menu development, all the experiments, uh, all that stuff for Heston for five years before I came to the attention of the CTO of Microsoft, Nathan Mirable. And Nathan and I actually had a shared interest in barbecue. Um, that was something we both had a lot of passion for. We thought there was uh, you know, a lot of things that were great about it, but there was also a lot of myth and lore that we thought was just flat out wrong. So uh, Fast forward to 2008, I was moving back to Seattle, and Nathan suggested we write a book together, and that became uh, this series of books called Modernist Cuisine, and the reason there's a huge section on bar- the science of barbecue in there is because Nathan and I have a passion for that. Uh, that. That book wrapped up about 2011, and you know, between 2008, when I'd started the book with Nathan, and 2011, like YouTube had become a thing, uh, hard as it is to remember. Back in 2008, YouTube wasn't really a thing, and it was still early days in, in late 2011, early 2012. Podcasting wasn't a thing yet. Yes, uh, it was. Blogging was... was, was <laughs> <laughs> Podcasting, uh, you know, it was early days, right? And and so, you know, myself and some colleagues from Modernist Cuisine got some digital cameras, started throwing cooking videos up uh, on YouTube back in 2012, and that, that became Chef Steps. And... While we were very passionate about creating content that, that educated and formed and taught people how to be uh, better cooks and inspired them, we also felt there was an opportunity to make better kitchen tools. And that's how I ended up making Jewel. Fast forward to 2019, I sold Chef Steps to Breville and Combustion Inc. is my new thing. So I'm kind of going back to one of my passions, which is uh, barbecue and live fire cooking. Now, I know some folks, for instance, me, we were in Chicago, my uh, middle daughter and I, a couple of years ago, right before the pandemic. Uh, she was doing some uh, modeling stuff over at the Merchandise Mart there. And we took in a dinner at RPM Steakhouse. And it was a, a life-changing dining experience uh, for both of us. I mean, you know, my daughter at the time is 18. And she's been to some places. Uh, but we get a lot of great meat here sent to me. And I have some great contacts. So we eat pretty well here in the house. But uh, the experience there and the meat program there, along with some other things, was was really great. A lot of people talk about that burger experience that changed their life, and they can always harken back to the best burger they ate. But I'm interested to know what the life-changing meal that you had was. 
Well, so the, the the fat duck. Let me see if I can set the stage, and and maybe this isn't the the typical uh, fare that a lot of your listeners would prefer. But you know, I'm I'm a young twenty something cook who who who's who's very into the art of cooking, and uh, um, you know, the fat duck is outside of London. It's in a small town called Bray, uh, and it's actually in a very unassuming pub. It's a six hundred year old pub. The ceilings are you know about yay tall, and you know, you come in, it's a small, you know, it almost feels like you're sitting in a living room and uh, tables are very, are very minimal, you know, nothing set on them. And, you know, the first thing that they bring to your table is this, they, they wheel over this cart and on top of the cart, there's a cauldron of liquid nitrogen boiling away. And the waiter starts your meal off with a palate cleanser by taking what looks like uh, well, whipping siphon, squirting a dollop of what looks like shaving uh, cream onto the end of a spoon, dropping that into the liquid nitrogen, turning it over and poaching it for about uh, eight seconds. And then they strain it out, dust some green tea powder on it and hand it to you on, on a small plate. And you pop it in your mouth and you bite into it and it's fantastic. It just shatters. Uh, with this glassiness and gives away to this luscious mousse that's racing with the acidity of lime juice and you know some astringency um, from from the green tea that it's made from and the coolest thing about it is you get this puff of smoke out of your nose that makes you look like a dragon and you know it's this very theatrical thing it's very whimsical nobody was doing anything like this anywhere in the world at the time and what was interesting to me about it is not only was it actually delicious, even if it was a bit over the top and theatrical, but it actually had this very carefully reasoned purpose. A lot of people come to a restaurant and before they've, they've come for the meal, maybe they've brushed their teeth. And if you've ever had orange juice in the morning after you brush your teeth, you yeah. know it, it doesn't taste quite right. And that's because the, the toothpaste leaves an alkaline residue on your teeth and the orange juice is acidic. And when that alkaline residue neutralizes the acidity of the orange juice, your brain goes, hold on for a second. This isn't fresh. This isn't right. And so the lime juice in that palate cleanser was meant to neutralize any basic residue from maybe brushing your teeth. And uh, maybe some, some of the ladies know that uh, a lot of facial cleansers use green tea mm. because the tannins, the polyphenols in the green tea are really good at sort of cleansing soft tissues like your tongue, like your cheeks. And there's a teeny, teeny bit of vodka in there, just a little bit of alcohol to sort of help dissolve and disperse any fats because maybe you had some French fries because you didn't think you were going to eat very well at this, at this meal. So it actually had this very carefully reasoned purpose to sort of level the playing field. And over the next two and a half hours, I think I had about 24 dishes, each one huh. more surprising, more whimsical than the next. But it wasn't all just theater. It all wasn't just show. You know, the pork belly was incredibly well cooked. And this was back in, as I said, early 2002. This was one of the few kitchens at the time doing sous vide cooking where they would cook that pork belly for 48 hours at 140 Fahrenheit before, before crisping the skin, before puffing it. The lamb, same kind of deal where, you know, the meat was impeccable, but it was the combination of techniques like sous vide and using liquid nitrogen that both served for theater and whimsy and fun but behind it all, there was real thinking into how do you make food as delicious as possible. And, you know, that meal was fantastic. But, you know, the more I got to work with Heston and the team over the next five years, the more I realized what was possible in the hands of a creative chef when you're enabled by an understanding of the hows and whys of cooking. And so most of my career has really been about exploring those hows and whys and whether it's writing books or creating videos on YouTube or now building consumer electronics, it's all informed in terms of using science and technology to make it easier to make amazing food. When you were starting to get into the jewel and the chef stuff thing, were you also burning out at the chefing part of this or is that always a burning passion? I mean, I, I, so professional cooking, chefing is a young man's game. I'm in my mid forties now and every now and then I auction off a, a dinner and, and do a dinner for someone and my body is wrecked the next day. Um, you know, the, the thing about professional cooking is, you know, when I was 24, 25, I'd get to work at eight in the morning. It was very rare. I was back in my, in my barn basically is where I lived before midnight. And I did that six days a week. And, you know, 
it's as much about stamina and athleticism. It is about being a great cook. So while I wouldn't trade anything about my twenties, I do like going to bed at a more reasonable hour. Now I like, I like being able to take a vacation. Um, but the other part of it is I've always found enjoyment in the customer service part of it. And whether that's a restaurant where we're serving 50 people a night or with Jewel, where we really prized having great customer support, we're always trying to delight people. We're always trying to make it where they can prepare a great meal. So even if I'm not doing the cooking, I feel proud that we made a tool that made it possible and that we're willing to stand behind that. I'm first introduced to sous vide cooking, you know, many, many years ago through a product called sous vide supreme. I think it was, I still have it. I still use it yeah. square. It looks like a bread maker. It takes up a lot of space on the countertop, yep. but it does what have it's intended to do. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, and I think I won it actually, uh, through, through a contest. And maybe they just picked me because they heard I had a podcast and they thought they'd get some free exposure out of it. And I just thought I was lucky, whatever. But uh, it's many years old. I still use it for some chicken cooking, obviously for steak and uh, some other cuts. But I don't think I've really taken advantage of sous vide cooking because I see it as more segmented than I probably should. And I've had folks on the show uh, over the course of time. Uh, there's a guy down in Florida, Fire and Water Cooking, who's a huge sous vide guy. Meathead, obviously, has dedicated some books to sous vide Q, and he's got recipes and stuff on his website about that. And certainly you're a continuation on that. To me, when I look at you, you're a big guy on time and temperature, but it's not, is it internal temperature? Yes, but... The more I learned about you, it's surface temperature and perhaps mm -hmm. more surface temperature than anything else. Yeah, so so sous vide was really interesting, and and you're right. It's still it, it's I mean it's grown tremendously from from when I first started doing sous vide in 2002. I mean you can go to Target now and get a sous vide device, and and I like to think we played a role in that. But but you know it's still not in every kitchen in America. And what people really love about sous vide is the certainty that the food is going to be cooked exactly like they want. You know, there's no risk of overcooking or undercooking. And as a technique, sous vide's a little bit of a hack to make that possible. Essentially, you fill a water bath up and you put the water at the temperature you want the internal temperature of the food to eventually reach. And then you seal the food up in a plastic bag and you put it in the water and you wait. Now, the benefit of that is the food can never get hotter than the surrounding water. And then you usually need to do something like sear or something for the love of God at the end, because straight out of the bag, it's, you know, it's cooked, but it's not what I say is delicious for the most part. Um, but, you know, the downside of that approach to bringing the temperature to exactly where you want it is one, it's slow. You know, those last few degrees take about 80% of the cooking time. If you raise the water bath even a little, you know, you'll cut the cooking time by, by 20%, but of course you'll get a little bit more of a doneness gradient. So it's, you know, and the more you raise the temperature, more it starts to look like conventional cooking. The other thing that's an issue and people in the barbecue world, I think can appreciate this foods, mostly water with some shit mixed in. Um, and when you put that in your smoker or on your grill or in your oven, that water starts to evaporate. And as it does, just like sweat evaporating off you cools you off on a summer day, unless you live in the Midwest where the humidity's basically 100%, that evaporative cooling drops the surface temperature far below the cooking temperature. And this is what leads to the stall and barbecue, but this happens everywhere. And the problem is now you don't know what the real cooking temperature is. Your oven might be at 400 Fahrenheit, but for most of the cooking, the food is feeling a temperature below the boiling point of water, below 212, because it's still water. And until that water's all gone, it can't get much hotter except for the very surface that might start to brown. The trick, and this was one of the original reasons I built the thermometer I decided to build, was if I could measure the temperature at the surface of the food, I could know what the food is actually feeling. And now if I could turn the temperature of my smoker up or down, or I could turn the temperature of my oven up and down to hold the surface temperature at that doneness that I want, well, the center can never, the center of the food can never get hotter than the surface. If you think about it, that it makes some intuitive sense. The benefit of that is I don't need to heat up a bunch of water. I don't need to use the plastic packaging. I can combine this with traditional techniques like smoking or grilling or barbecuing, but it gives me that precision of sous vide cooking without all of the other stuff. So in a certain sense, I built this thermometer to be able to measure the surface temperature of my brisket 
and adjust the temperature of my Karubacue. And at some point, this kind of got out of hand, and I decided we should turn it into a real product. Yeah, so I, I was going to say, and that sounds like this is the, the genesis of uh, uh, where combustion comes from. You're messing around with the Karubacue, and you have the yep. extensive background in sous vide, obviously, uh, with the Juul, and, yep. and now you want to do it uh, similarly, but uh, not again in a sous vide experience, but in something a little bit different, but uh, similar in concept uh, using what you've known. When you when you were looking at, and maybe you didn't, but I would assume just being a good businessman, you've also assessed the market, what's existing out there. The uh, By the way, this is a wireless thermometer that you're talking about, not a wired thermometer, which is why I'm about to say. You look at the market that's existing out there, and the Kleenex, of what's out there today is meter it's wireless it had a huge kickstarter program to the tune of millions but in my opinion it has mostly failed in every other way it's slow in delivery for like two years a lot of people thought it was a scam for a little while until they actually got theirs after a year or so uh, connection, connectivity ability to travel outside of a 10 or 12 foot radius like bluetooth really doesn't seem to work that well, even with the Wi-Fi bridge and the list goes on. And then you have some other Me Too wireless products as well, like Yumly and some of these other things, all similar pitfalls as far as usability and what you would hope it would do versus what it's actually doing. So when you survey the market, how is yours differing from a functionality standpoint? What does yours have also and what does yours not have as well? Well, so uh, a few things. Um, the first thing is, look, there's nothing wrong with the meter and they absolutely proved there was a market there. And it's nice to know there's a market there if you're going to invest the millions of dollars it takes to bring a, a major product like this to market. Um, one of the things I know is the meter was created around the same time the Jewel was. Uh, they would have been doing their engineering mostly in 2015, 2016. They took a lot longer to get through manufacturing. And I think that was mostly... Manufacturing is a lot harder than people think who haven't done mass-produced manufacturing before. Everything takes longer. Everything is harder um, because everything just has to work flawlessly or when you scale it up by 100,000, you know, the wheels come off. But what I know about that is, is that was very early days for Internet of Things and connectivity. And there's a lot of things that we learned from Juul because we had millions of people cooking with our sous vide device and our device was entirely wireless and Internet controlled. Um, that one of the things I really wanted to get right was the connectivity. It needed to just work. When I take the thermometer out of the case, it should turn on and it should connect whether I'm using the app on my phone or whether I'm using the timer, it should connect instantly, less than a second. I shouldn't have to create an account. I shouldn't have to go through three steps. It should just reliably do that. And there's a bunch of technical things we did to make that work, but that was one of the things that I absolutely felt had to be reliable about it because if the stuff doesn't connect, these things are going to get returned and everyone thinks is going to think it's garbage. So one of the ways we did that was we simplified it and said, it's not a state secret if somebody knows that you like your steak more well done. And so our thermometer four times a second just shouts the temperature into the wild. So if you download the app or you have the timer, they will instantly see that, that beacon and go, aha, I recognize a thermometer, here's the temperature. And the results of that is it's a lot more reliable, it's a lot more stable. The other thing we do is we log all the data on the thermometer. So if the connection breaks for a second, as soon as it reconnects behind the scenes, it asks for all the data. So it is actually a data logger to log 24 hours of data. <laughs> uh, as a chef, I wanted it to be thinner, especially for smaller foods. It was really important that I wasn't poking something the size of a pencil in. And so we're about uh, almost 40% thinner in cross section. So it is noticeably thinner. In fact, it's by far the thinnest on the market. We also said, look, one of the problems with something like the meter is if I want to cook a big brisket or a prime rib, fine. But if I want to cook uh, a smaller food, a chicken, by the time I push the probe far enough in, that it's, it's past its minimum insertion line. The, the, you have to push it a certain amount of distance so that the food actually keeps the electronics cool enough and protected. Um, by the time you push that in, well, now the tip is beyond the center of the food and you're not measuring the real center. And if you pull it further out, well, now you're going to destroy your thermometer. Well, by having multiple sensors, we can work in a food that's only two inches across 
And even though our tip is also on the other side, because we have seven sensors along the probe and then an eighth in the handle, we can figure out automatically where the core is <laughs> and tell you that's the core temperature. And we figure out where the surface is. And we can give you that temperature too. And of course, we measure the ambient temperature around the food with the handle. So we have three main temperatures. But behind the scenes, not only do we automatically find the core, not only are we sort of instant on, and not only do we not require a phone because we do sell it with a timer that can also just be a great kitchen timer, these things all uh, work together. And there's a bunch of math running behind the scenes that figures out the size and the shape of your food by using all of those sensors and figuring out how things are changing. And that's what likes us make really accurate predictions of, you know, how long not only it'll take for your food to reach the temperature you want, but how long it should rest for so that that carryover cooking coasts you right to where you want. Because we can look at how much heat is building up in the outer parts of the food and, and that are gonna raise the temperatures it rests. So those are, those are the biggest differences. The multi-sensors let us work in big and small foods. We're thinner. Our connectivity just works and you don't have to have your phone. Chris Young joining us here from Combustion Inc., the website combustion.inc. If you want to go ahead and check out the device that we're talking about here, uh, do you still have pre-order slots available or are they sold out of this? Pre-orders are live right now. Right. Uh, you can save 30% until the end of the day on the February 14th. And after that, it'll go back to their normal prices. So you can get the bundle of the timer and the thermometer for $139 instead of $199. And they will be shipping in early June. And behind the scenes, the team is working furiously to make sure that that happens. Uh, Chris, can I put you on hold just for one second? And uh, we'll come back and finish up here. All right. Stand by. Absolutely. We are talking with Chris Young from Combustion Inc. And talking about that predictive thermometer. And there's also the partnering timer to go along with that. But you can download the app if you don't want that. And see it right there on your phone. I'll talk to you quickly about Primo Grill. What would be a better cooker than to try your brand new combustion ink predictive thermometer out on? I don't know. Primo sounds like a pretty good idea to me. What do we love about ceramic cooks? We love that they're fuel efficient. We love that you can achieve low and slow temperatures for traditional barbecue meats. We also love that you can get rip roaring hot for temperature or high temperature grilling of steaks and other thin cuts. But what's missing in the everyday lineup of ceramic cookers? The ability to do true two-zone cook. Two-zone cooking, very important to both professionals and backyard cooks alike. It's the best way to manage a fire and cook with confidence. However, getting a two-zone fire in a round ceramic cooker, not very realistic. Why? Because it's round. Enter Primo Grills and the game-changing oval design. The shape gives you the ability to execute a two-zone setup. It also gives you the other ceramic grill benefits as well. Really, when you break it down, if you can believe it, there's more than 60 different ways to configure the Primo cooker. So you're only limited by your culinary imagination. If you're looking for accessories to complete your Primo grill experience, they have more and more all of a sudden. They got the top and bottom air damp revamps. They have the brand new lift hinge. They also have the Primo grill rotisserie, the Primo grill pizza accessory, the half drip pan, the rib rack, and they're coming out with more in 2020 as well. Only sold through dealers. So visit there, see the cookers, and see all the other accessories that you can get. Primogrill.com. Here's the bottom line. Best ceramics in the biz. Yes. Patented technology. Yes. True two-zone cooking capabilities. I just said it. Multiple sizes. And yes, if you just have to have a round one, they have those as well. But please, consider the old. Be a game changer. Be a mold breaker on the cul-de-sac. Primogrill.com. Again, for a dealer near you, follow him on Instagram and Facebook. That's Primogrill.com. And we're back with more Chris Young from Combustion Inc. Right after this, stick around. We'll be right back. Celebrating over 10 years of prolific and unparalleled live fire barbecue and grilling talk. And yes, it's still being done from Cleveland, Ohio. You're listening to the Barbecue Central Show. Welcome back. This portion of the show being brought to you by Smithfield. Head on over to smithfield.com right now for recipes as well as tips and tricks from well-known live fire cooks like Darren Worth. Just Priles and Child Criddlin with mouthwatering flavor, no artificial ingredients. Smithfield fresh pork is quite simply some of the finest pork money can buy. 
the trusted choice of top cooks for use at competitions and at home. In fact, Sam the Cooking Guy sent me a picture of Smithfield pork the other day and said, you know what I think of when I see fresh Smithfield pork? I said, me? Question mark. He said, yeah. Only you, 100% of the time. So something is happening there. All right, we're back with uh, Chris from Combustion Inc. And appreciate you hanging with me through the break there, Chris. So as we were talking about how your particular thermometer is differing from what's out there, um, let me ask you from a funding standpoint, uh, this is something that you know, you're obviously doing. I don't know if you have like uh, private equity folks or things like this. The question is, it seems pretty popular, especially for a tactile or a physical product to go crowdfunding. We saw, as I had mentioned before, wild success with Meter. Uh, you have quite a substantial background in manufacturing and what that's all involved. So why not, I'm going to say take advantage, and that sounds really bad, but why not take advantage of a fervent customer base that's willing to part with money in advance and wait around for production and say, hey, when it gets there, give us some idea, give us some targets, but we're willing to you know, jive with you, and then you don't really have to you know, put out, if you will, when it comes to the money. Did you look at that? Yeah, I, we thought about it. Um, we didn't do it at Combustion either, and you know, there's a lot of good reasons. It could fill a whole podcast in upon itself that I won't get into, but I suppose on a certain level, it's philosophical. And, you know, I'm, I'm fortunate to be in a position that I can afford to take this risk. There's no private equity. There's no big money behind this. This is, this is something that it's your big money. successes in my, <laughs> it's, it, I'm writing the check that remember this started out as a hobby with my barbecue. Yeah. And at a certain point I was writing enough, uh, engineering friends checks to prototype. I said, well, at least I ought to get my money back. Let's, let's turn it into a company. Um, but I think the ultimate reason is, uh, Customers aren't aren't guinea pigs, and you know we're taking pre-orders. We're giving people a thirty percent discount by ordering it a little bit earlier to figure out how big our first production run should be. But I've done hardware enough to know stuff will go wrong, that mistakes will happen, and I also know that those big numbers you see on Kickstarter are largely not real. The big numbers you see require huge amounts of money spent on advertising to drive those numbers up. How much the creator actually gets to keep is maybe a twenty percent of that number you see. And that's not enough to get you through manufacturing. So it sets false hopes, I think, for those those uh, people who took the risk on backing a product that may or may not exist. You know, we stand behind it. We're pre-selling. People can cancel their order up to the day it ships if they change their mind. We have a two-year warranty and a 30-day money-back guarantee because I'm standing behind this. And what feels right to me is I'm going to take the risk on creating the product. Um, I don't need people to uh, provide me a loan or sell them a story that isn't true. <laughs> uh, Chris, I so, think, you know, I think that's philosophically why we don't do it. I think everyone listening to this agrees that the future holds wireless remote thermometry is something that will be the standard, much like the uh, pro or the, the wired thermometer is, is the standard at this point. And now wireless is trying to break into that. There are options currently as we've talked about, that seem to perform well in certain areas, but not in other ones. So is, the, is there a opportunity down the road where you would look at doing some kind of Wi-Fi connectivity or you know, being able to connect to the app and then get in my car and go to the grocery store and you know, be able to see what's happening with my meat that way? Yes, that's going to happen. And I think part of the reason we didn't put it into version one is uh, we did Wi-Fi with Connectivity with Joule. It's incredibly expensive to maintain. It breaks a lot because everybody has a different router. It's very challenging. And I wanted to make sure we delivered the base experience and nailed it uh, first before we extended it because not everybody needs the Wi-Fi connectivity. Not everybody wants to, to, to do that. The other thing that's changing is IoT Cellular is actually in some ways becoming a real thing. And that actually is even better in Wi-Fi in theory, where your timer would actually connect to any cell network and get the data that way. The benefit of that is we don't have to deal with what might be a very sketchy home Wi-Fi situation. Wi-Fi often doesn't reach into the backyard. And so we can make that promise of it will just work out of the box and always be connected as long as there's even the weakest of cell phone signals. So again, as I look at the technological landscape changing and I think about what's best for our customer, 
well, what's best for our customers, things just work. You know, nobody wants to be an IT support person and try to figure out why this damn thing won't connect to my Wi-Fi network. And speaking honestly, I don't want to be doing the customer support issues because we did that. So I think the technology is in the next year going to make it possible where we'll probably skip Wi-Fi and go straight to uh, always work cellular connectivity. Uh, Chris Young joining us here on the show. So we have the thermometer option as a standalone where you would download an app, read it that way. You also have the companion timers or anything else from an accessory standpoint or bundles or options that we should know about. So we we right now have a single probe with timer bundle and we have the double barrel bundle. So in barbecue, I often want two probes. The timer works with up to four probes. The app, there isn't actually a limit on how many probes the app can work with. And every timer actually will relay the signal to the phone or relay it to another timer. So it's a mesh network that just extends the range. Um, That's going to keep us pretty busy. Um, That said, the obvious thing that got me started on this was the idea to have temperature control over my smoker. Well, now I've built the thermometer that makes surface temperature barbecue possible. There's going to be some things, I think, coming from us that we'll have news to talk about hopefully later this year that are going to make it possible for us to start controlling the temperature on smokers in ways you haven't seen before. Hmm. So something other than just the traditional power draft fan type stuff? Something I think different than just that. All right. Your driving culinary theme here, Chris, is is it knowing the surface temperature and then being able to, to regulate the surrounding temperature in order to, to give you the best results possible and having that be consistent? I think it's actually even a little bit bigger than that. Um, one of the things I've learned as a chef and a, a home cook and a barbecue enthusiast is the control of temperature is make or break um, for great cooking. I don't care if it's barbecue or it's a great hamburger or a perfect steak or a fancy fine dining meal. If you can't control time and temperature, you're never going to have that kind of consistency. Um, and so w- certainly one of the things I've focused on in my career is is whether it's sous vide or now this, I think having better tools to control temperature in your kitchen or in your your backyard is going to make you a better cook. But the other part is we all have questions about when's dinner going to be done? How long should it rest? And even as a really experienced cook, if I'm doing something I haven't done before, you know, I have some intuition for it, but I'm wrong as much as I'm right if you change things up enough. And this is something where my background as a mathematician says, look, we have fancy sensors now. We have supercomputers in our pockets. We can solve this problem by letting the computers do that job. And that hopefully makes people more confident, maybe in cooking things they've never cooked before. Maybe they've never tackled a brisket because it seems daunting and you're putting this huge amount of time in and what if it goes wrong? Well, what if we could give you the temperature from Aaron Franklin's pit on our thermometer and you could match your temperature to get that kind of result so that you can see exactly how you should do it to get that perfect result? What if we could give you that kind of turn-by-turn driving direction you know, might it inspire you to to take the risk on something you hadn't done before? And to me, that's really exciting and worth doing. So I think that's kind of what I've made my career about is innovation in the service of helping people cook. All right. So I remember what I wanted to ask you. You had mentioned uh, with the app, there was really no limit to the amount of probes that you could have. So if I had seven or eight probes, just hypothetically speaking, is there a quick and easy way for me to figure out which one is corresponding to which yeah, so one of the things where we're, the software engineers are working on it right now is if you take one of the probes that you're interested and you hold it really close to your phone, it'll blink that one. If you hold it close to the timer, it'll switch over to that one. Um, because, yeah, it's, it's, and we're, you know, right now we have our beautiful, very bright and bold yellow yes. colors, but there will be other colors available later um, as we work through it. The, the, the yellow is actually uh, ceramic. And one of the things that I've gotten to learn a lot about is getting colors dialed in just right on kiln-fired ceramic coatings turns out to be really, really difficult. So we got the yellow working. We're working on red and some other colors now. So if you are in the market for the latest and greatest wireless thermometer, then I would suggest that you get over to the pre-order portion here, combustion.inc, and uh, either get the uh, single probe or the double barrel and uh, get in line. And then, of course, let me know all about it once you get it. You said these are set to, are they set to build later in the year or set to ship? We are start. So it's it's uh, it's it's the holidays in China right now. And unfortunately, a lot of these parts do have to come from China. So we will start production in March. Um, and if everything goes well, we'll be ma- mass producing by April. 
we'll do some some early testing in May, but with shipping and everything's kind of gone wrong with supply chains for the last year and a half, we're saying early June to be safe. <laughs> All right, fair enough. So head on over to combustion.inc and get your pre-order in now. This is Chris Young. Chris, really appreciate the time tonight. I enjoyed exploring your background and uh, how we came here today. Uh, continued success, and we'll do it again soon. Okay. Thank you, Greg. Thanks for having me. You got it. There he is, Chris Young, right there from combustion.inc, formerly Chef Steps, and obviously one of the co-authors over at Modernist Cuisine as well. So very accomplished. And then academic to boot, just like Jeremy Andrews there in the first hour. So if you're a wireless fan or you want the latest and greatest, combustion.inc, put in your pre-order, away you go. I will talk to you quickly about Vortic Watch Company, a small batch custom watch manufacturing and vintage restoration company located in northern Colorado. They take antique American pocket watches and tournament wrist watches. Their mission, preserve and enhance the legacy of manufacturing excellence in America. In order to do that, they combine traditional and cutting edge technology to create unique quality functional timepieces with exceptional value. And here's the coolest part. Each watch that Vortic makes is unique and one of a kind. Vortic founded on the motto that America wasn't assembled, it was built. Check out VorticWatches.com for more info or to possibly buy their watch of the day. We're back to wrap the show right after this. Stick around. Be right back. Whole packers, full racks, legs and thighs, injecting butts. If you've never heard this before, you might think you found the best triple X show ever. Let's get back to the most homoerotic host out there today, Craig Rimpy. All right, let's see if I can do this here in just a minute. We're getting ready to make tracks all the way back in the first hour, of course. It was the CEO and first-timer to the show, Jeremy Andrus, Traeger Grills, Traeger.com, socially at Traeger Grills. And then in the second hour, the founder of Combustion.inc, your latest wireless thermometer option. Chris Young, formerly of Chef Steps and Jewel, also Modernist Cooking. Check it all out. Get the podcast. Hit me up if you have any questions. Big show planned for you next week. As always, Stephen Reichland will be back amongst others. How do I always leave you? September 11, 2001. I will never forget until next Tuesday at 9 p.m. Eastern. This is your program host and proud U.S. American, Greg Rempe. Good night now. This is Chris Payne from Euclid, Ohio, and you are listening to Barbecue Central.